Hello, everyone. It's Reverend Todd Sloggett from HMA Ministries. We are here at uh, the new Calvary Outreach Center, downtown Sepulpa, Oklahoma. So thankful to so many of the saints that made this new facility possible. Uh, this is the new uh, home of uh, Peanut Butter and Jesus, Sepulpa Creek County, Oklahoma chapter, and uh, the new headquarters of Rescue International, Next podcast, several other ministries that we've uh, put together here. Tonight, uh, thankfully, we're doing our first live audience podcast uh, from the new facility. We've been able to put some material up here lately, but uh, we finally are using the facility for what it was really made for, built for, and intended for. And uh, we have our kids and grandkids and friends and others around here. So if you hear some baby crying in the background or something, that's all right. That's part of it. If you hear the train go by, because we're on the right on the tracks, where, right where we like to be, we may pause it for a second and uh, let the train go by and jump right back in. We want to say how much we appreciate our listeners, our followers, our supporters and friends. I know a lot of you have been uh, reaching out to me lately because I was very, very sick there for a while, and God has answered your prayers and helped me, and I appreciate you all very, very much. Tonight, we want to get into podcast number 59. COVID fog and what it may have to do with your religion. COVID fog and what it may have to do with your religion. Now, if I ever preach this as a sermon, and I very well might, I'll probably title it, Emotion and Commotion Doesn't Equal Devotion. Emotion and Commotion Doesn't Equal Devotion. That's, that's really the topic, but I'm calling the podcast what I'm calling it for specific reasons uh, on the internet. So we know that we're approaching two full years of a devastating and confusing global pandemic. There is so much medical, physical, financial, and political fallout from this one event. I don't know if it will ever be fully sorted out. And I'm not about to attempt to clear all that up this evening, but I do want to consider a particularly strange aspect of this event. First things first, I'm not here to give medical advice, and if I wander off into that area this evening, it will only be my opinion. I'm also not necessarily here attempting to make any political statements tonight, although we all know that at some point I probably will. <clears throat> um, I have several friends that are doctors, and one of them recently told me that there are over 340 known side effects of COVID-19. So basically, any problem that you have ever had could be a side effect of COVID. And for all we know, that may be true. I mean, almost everyone seems to take COVID differently. That's something we have figured out. In my opinion, that is probably because it is man-made cellular-level disease, and, and we may get into some of that here in a bit. But by far the strangest, most intriguing recently most studied and unexplainable side effect of COVID is something that they had to make up a name for. It is generally called COVID fog or COVID brain or brain fog. In all reality, I think the right terminology for it would be what I heard one doctor use, disassociation. Disassociation is a separation or disconnect of normally related mental processes 
resulting in one part of being able to function independently from others. Normally, as you do something, the rest of your being understands what you're doing. Disassociation is a state of being able to do something and the rest of you not really fully grasping what you're doing. Possibly leading to feelings of mental block or memory loss and lack of full function and sharpness. This disassociation is what I want to talk about this evening. Now, I know that most of you listening to this podcast are Christians, Pentecostals, religious folks, and most of you are claiming still from your pulpits that the devil made COVID. And uh, if you know me very well, you know that I disagree with that. Uh, You know, the devil's doing this to us. The devil's doing this. The devil's making us sick. The devil sent this on the church. I've always said that I don't know where COVID came from. And the more COVID has gone on, the more times I've said it looks like it could be from God. God punishing populations. They're getting less and less godly and more and more evil. God inflicting shutdowns on the church because they're not doing godly biblical things in the church. God forcing the church to have to go out in the parking lot and and do Facebook live videos and and evangelize the gospel into the community when they weren't doing it before COVID. So I still think it's very likely that God did it, but we don't have to have that argument tonight. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you for the sake of argument for this evening. Let's just say that I'm going along with you that the devil sent COVID to disrupt the church. So if the devil did this, then the, dis- the disassociation that he is causing in our brains would be calculated and intentional. He's doing it on purpose then. Let me show you what some earlier studies are telling us about COVID fog. It is a confusion from a lack of feeling the clarity of all components of one's self-cooperation and communication within oneself. It could, be, it could possibly tie into the fact that there's so much problems with taste and smell. You may be tasting and smelling. It's, the connection isn't there for the brain to understand what the taste is or what the smell is. That's a possibility. That's all I'm saying. The strangest part of all of this is that it is not always just a dulling of the emotion or mental feelings. In many, many cases we're learning, myself included, that it dulled the physical feeling as well. Many people are reporting not feeling their usual aches and pains while going through and coming out of the fog, if you will. I, for one, have horrible back pain. It gets worse and worse the older I get. I actually saw a doctor again today about trying to figure out a way to relieve me of the pain. I'm in the pain at some way, shape, or form, uh, worse or not as bad every day. And all of a sudden, as I was coming out of um, COVID and and all of these problems that I was having, all this sickness for four or five weeks, I, I realized something, that I'd gone about three weeks with no back pain that my, my back didn't hurt anymore. My first thing was I was so excited, maybe COVID cured my back, but uh, come to find out that's not what happened. Because as I got better and as my brain fog 
uh, cleared up and my symptoms went away, my back pain came back with a vengeance. So some people have symptoms of COVID that they lose mental clarity and emotional feeling. They get numbed to all of that, even numb to physical pain. So this is where I want to drill down. I don't know very many people that would dispute that the church as a whole is in a very weakened state. Pentecostally, across America, globally, Protestantism, no matter which way you want to slice it, the numbers are down, influence is down, and activity is down in the church. Tonight, I only want to talk about one of the many reasons why this is probably so. I believe I know my audience well enough that this is the one that's going to matter the most. One of the reasons the church is weak is because of lack of teaching and a lack of discipleship. A very primary reason for that is that most of the church services are taken up with the driving of emotions by the singers, musicians, and speakers. And this is becoming more and more across the board, the whole church world. I know this is hard. I know it'll hurt some of you. I know, I know how some of you will react to this, but we need to admit this so that we can find a better way. Many, I dare say most, of our church services are driven by emotion. We have a certain presupposed criteria that makes a good service good, and we aim for that almost every time. The problem with that is our criteria. It is mostly based on causing the congregants to feel certain things or at least act out in a way that they appear to feel those certain things, which is actually a form of peer pressure or groupthink. At, at its farthest root in, it's a, it's, it's a form of cultism. As this goes on long enough, our members have had the majority of their church experiences over and over and over again based on how they feel. We shouted, so-and-so danced, so-and-so ran, hot tears ran down my face. Someone went down to the front and cried and shook uncontrollably, or somebody shook them uncontrollably. It was a good service. I felt God. Such things enhance and reinforce that a Christian is living right and doing the right things because they were at the right place at the right time and they felt the right things. This is Christianity to many. This is their religion. To many others, it is a leading or primary component of their religion. To some, it is a component of Christianity, and, and, and to many others, it's just all nonsense, which is true. Which, which of all of these is right? Well, I can tell you this much. Emotionalism in Christianity is not all nonsense, Christianity is a very emotional experience. But emotionalism is not Christianity. When you take it to the point that it becomes the religion, it's gone too far. Listen, I know uh, th this is difficult. I deal with the same pressures that all of you do. But we need to continue to have this conversation because it is affecting and helping so many people to realize that they're not crazy. People that think these thoughts but have no outlet 
to be able to express them. I know lots of pastors and ministers that know this, talk about this, even preach against this, or admonish their church not to be like this. And then when they are running a service or preaching a Sunday morning message, they slip right back into it. How often do we say, how often do we hear, I don't think you're feeling this like I'm feeling it. I wish I could get you to feel this like I felt it last night when God was giving it to me. It's too bad I don't have a few more people on their feet right now. What we're trying to do, and God help me, I've done this a thousand times. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to always feel their experience with Christ while they're with us. I'm not sure if that's to benefit them, to cause them to feel it enough to where they're really having their experience. I'm afraid sometimes it's to benefit the preacher. It makes me feel good to know that I convinced you to get to that point. I, I know there's emotion to salvation. There's a lot of emotion to Pentecost. I probably wept more. Uh, got more excited, felt more overwhelmed with good feelings the first year after I got saved than, than all 25 years prior. I love the feelings that are associated with being saved, being a child of God, getting blessed by the Lord, realizing more and more His promises, protections, and provisions. I feel in awe of God. I'm thankful. I well up with tears sometimes. I just take off running. I can't stand it any longer. But that is not my religion. Hear me carefully. My religion is faith in Christ Jesus. Not feeling Christ Jesus. And faith in Christ Jesus takes me on many journeys. And what happens on those journeys causes many emotions. But those emotions are not my religion. And the seeking, encouraging, and drumming up of those emotions is not discipleship. It is not teaching. And, and really, it's not preaching. There's some of that in preaching. But if seeking, encouraging, building, pushing, pressing, pulling it out of, drumming up emotions is the majority of what's happening when we're in the pulpit, we're leaving the people with an experience far, far short of what we're supposed to be helping them get. It makes so much sense to me, and this is what I'm about to say in these next couple of paragraphs that I'm reading here, is what really got me to the point to do this podcast. I had a couple of pastors calling me, asking me about this. It makes so much sense to me that the Bible continuously compares the Christian experience to a marriage. We must never forget how many times and how powerfully God compared our relationship with his son to our, uh, a man's relationship to his wife. Christ is the groom. We are the bride. Think about this. How long would marriages last if they were based on the feelings that we got on our wedding day and on our honeymoon night? If that was how marriages were supposed to be all the time, how long would our marriages last? If that was the standard, the test, 
of a good marriage, we'd all get divorced. But that's not what marriage is based on. That's not the standard or the test. Marriages are based on commitment, respect, promises made, promises kept, trust, longevity, love. The kind you feel, the kind that you believe, and the kind that you work at. Christianity, by God, was compared to the same. We stay with Christ because of commitment, respect, promises made, promises kept, trust, longevity, love, the kind that you feel, the kind that you believe, and the kind that you work at. I keep hearing these ministers coming down on these weak, shallow, lukewarm, young Christians. Well, feed them. Teach them. Stop pandering to an atmosphere for them and start teaching them about a relationship with Christ. When COVID first hit, it shut down churches. Some for a few services, some for a few weeks, some for months. Some churches I know had multiple shutdowns. My home church had multiple shutdowns. Little short ones, but, but multiple ones. I want, you, I want to give you a staggering statistic that I received the other day from the Billy Graham Association. When the first wave of shutdowns of churches in the beginning of COVID happened, and then those churches opened back up, now we've had another year and a half or so since they opened back up, one-third of all millennials did not come back. One-third of an entire generation stopped going to church because church was closed for a few weeks or a few months. Millions and millions of American churchgoers stopped going to church because of what COVID did over a few weeks and a few months. Maybe it was the devil. That sounds a little bit like him. But, but if we have trained them to have an experience based on feelings that are based on a certain time and a certain place and a certain action, a lot of times we tell you when the action is, what to do, how to do it, when to feel it, why you should feel it, how much you should be feeling. Scold you if you're not feeling or not acting like you're feeling. And then we take away the time and the place and the action. The pastor isn't there to tell them when to get in. He isn't there to tell them that they're not responding correctly. The corporate pressures of the church don't kick in that caused the scenarios that brought the right feelings. And then they go long enough, weeks, months, without those feelings, without those pressures, and it breaks them free from that cycle and that experience, and they just move on. They didn't really have the relationship. They had a time and a place to be told what to feel. So enter COVID fog and your theory of the devil being behind it, and your conspiracies of the government. And what you have is this. What if government can shut down the churches 
And what if certain man-made diseases can remove our emotions and our feelings for longer periods of time than COVID-19 did? Then I believe that it won't be just one-third of an age group that quits the church. I believe it would be more like two-thirds of the whole church that never comes back. You say, brother, that's crazy. If I'd explained to you what COVID did to the church, if I'd have told you that five years ago, you'd have said I was crazy too. But it just happened. Yes, the government would have its hand in it. Culture will be uh, partially to blame as well as the devil if you want to throw him in there. But what about us? What about the ministries themselves and the ministers themselves? What if we would be teaching the truth of Scripture all along, building strong, deep, committed Christians all along, those that didn't just feel their religious experience, but learned and trusted and loved and believed their experience, had faith and trust in the Word of God, the truth of God and the promises of God when, when they could and when they couldn't feel them. What if we taught the saints to walk daily, side by side, moment by moment, with their Lord and Savior and their ongoing personal relationship with, with Him was their religion? What if we taught each and every one of them what the Bible says and teaches and means about, uh, uh, about depression and anxiety and, and addictions and, and pornography and, and peer pressure and, and marital issues and all of these things? And then going to church and, and being involved in corporate worship and feeling feelings was just the icing on the cake. But cakes aren't made out of icing. The relationship can't be made out of the feeling. Just like a marriage is not made out of vacations and expensive dinner and, and romance every evening, you know there are a lot of young couples that have been dealt with and counseled, I've counseled many that went into their marriages believing just that. And when she gains a little weight or uh, she has to get a part-time job or he, he, he stopped dressing up every time they went out when there was a lot less Longhorn Steakhouse and a lot more Whataburger, things started falling apart. That is because no one taught them what marriage was really about. Oh, like the church. Like we keep losing the majority of every generation over and over and over again because no one's teaching them what the relationship's really about. Listen to these extremely familiar verses. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Proverbs 28 and 6, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We love these verses. We quote them all the time. So why are so many still teaching each new generation that their religion is based on feelings and thoughts and emotions and, and emotional and religious activities? instead of what these verses are saying. According to these and many, many, many other scriptures, we should be teaching to develop wisdom, to guard against our own feelings and thoughts. 
But pulpits, classrooms, and small groups are still filled with people saying things like, I feel like we should do this. I feel like if you'll do this right now, God will bless you. Come on, church, why aren't you shouting right now? More people should be on their feet right now. If I had a Holy Ghost-filled church, they would be helping me preach right now. That is not based on true worship and biblical faith. That is based on either trying to convince the congregation to have a felt experience or trying to get the preacher to feel like he's really doing good by getting the backing and support of the people, even if he has to coax them into it. Big disclaimer right here. I've done all this stuff. I know I have. I try to curb it. I try to learn better. I believe in emotional experiences within Christianity, but I believe they should come as they come as the Lord blesses with them. I do not believe that they should constantly and continually and regulated and coached and, and absolutely do not believe that my relationship with the Lord can be gauged by how I feel. 2 Corinthians says that we walk by faith, not by sight. I think a bunch of you aren't doing either one. You're not walking by faith. You're not walking by sight. You're walking by feeling. I say this based on how many churchgoers have come to me for counsel that have grown cold or backslidden. And when we begin to talk about it and counsel over it, they inevitably head straight to the, I just don't feel it anymore, Brother Todd. I haven't shouted in years. Pastor's sermons just don't move me like they once did. I, I don't feel God like I used to. And then I have to take the Holy Scriptures and try to help them unlearn 20 or 30 years worth of indoctrination. Normally I start, normally I start like this. Do you believe the Bible? Is it absolute truth? Is there anything that can override and contradict the scriptures that you would adhere to over the word of God? Once that is established, then we start down the trail. We talk about Hebrews 11 and 6 because without faith it is impossible to please God. And as long as you feel God every Sunday and every Wednesday, there's not much room for faith. We talk about Romans 10 and 17 because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not the songs of Zion, not the opinions of the teacher, not the personal convictions of the preacher worked into a sermon. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. How many times have we said, have we heard, have we sat there when it, it sounds like this? I, I, I know the Bible doesn't actually say this, but I realize that I'm taking this verse out of context, but Oh, help Todd slog it, Jesus. That is not the word of God. We also talk about Hebrews 11 and 1 because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith has four ingredients according to the Bible, substance, hope, evidence, and invisibility. And if it's all in the best service and the most emotional songs and the highest responses to the screaming and stomping and preaching, then where is the hope and where is the invisibility? We have removed 50% of the ingredients to favor the half that we like and can more easily control. 
We talk about several other places in Scripture, but we oftentimes end up in Romans 1 and 17 because the just shall live by faith. And we talk about faith in what? This is the biggest question I have for the American Christian church today. Everybody that goes to a church in the United States of America, this is the question I have for you today. Faith in what? Faith in your pastor? Faith in your parents? Faith in your fellowship? Faith in your indoctrination? Faith in your catechisms? Faith in your grandpa? Faith in the way of the people you know? Faith in what feels right to you? Faith in what you like? Faith in the scriptures that you do agree with? Faith in what? I generally begin to ask them questions like, do you believe that God is who God says he is? Do you believe that God will do what he promised that he'll do? If they affirm these questions, then I tell them, you may be further along with God than you thought you were because according to you, by faith, you believe that the Bible is God's infallible word. You believe by faith that God is eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, and love because that is what he said he was. You believe by faith that God will save the contrite heart, that he forgives sinners and heals the sick and hurting because those are the things that he promised he would do. You believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to earth and lived a sinless life, died a cruel death, rose from from the dead by his own power and authority, paid the price for all sin, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me, because that is what the Bible says. It may not be what you currently feel, but it doesn't matter as long as that's still what the Bible says. I want to give you a few responses that I've seen in my office while counseling and having that conversation with people, a lot of times I immediately hear this, then why don't I feel it? Which I reply, I don't know. But one thing I do know, it doesn't say anywhere that you have to. Why do you need something so you could believe something that isn't in the book? Many times by the end of the conversation, people are already crying and weeping because I'm quoting all of these scriptures and something stirring in them to which I enjoy pointing out there. There is the emotion. There is the feeling. It is in there, but it's based on faith, truth, scriptures, and hope and not someone telling you that it is 11 a.m. now and you are in service now and I am preaching now and we are all here now and you should be feeling this. One time I, I quoted a bunch of this and a man actually stood up and started dancing before the Lord in my office. When he was done, he looked at me and he said, I didn't really feel like dancing before the Lord right then, but I knew that it was the right thing to do. <laughs> Listen, I don't know anybody that I think is intentionally creating these shallow, happy, feel-good environments. They're not, I don't know anybody who's doing it on purpose. But I know a lot of people that are so indoctrinated themselves that they actually believe that these environments are the life of walking in the Spirit. That if they don't go to these services and get these services this high and they don't feel these feelings that they've really not fully experienced Christ. 
They believe that wearing the right outer garments and being in the right places at the right times with the right people and acting out the right ways that are predetermined that you're supposed to act, they believe that is Christianity. That is Pentecostalism. And not only is it very, very, very short of the full life in Christ and the life in the Spirit that we're supposed to be living, we have the knowledge, the power, and the truth to do so much more. It just takes courage and faith. Two things that don't come by feeling them. Let's go back quickly to the marriage example. Not my example, God's example. We know better than to apply our religious logic to our marriages. Thank God we do, or we'd all have horrible relationships. What if we taught all our young people that every night at 6.30, uh, all the young ladies, that every night at 6.30 when your husband gets home from work, the woman should uh, have the best possible meal hot on the stove, her nicest dress on, greet him with a great big hug and a great big kiss, always be happy, always say the most appropriate things to him, never bring him down, never give him any reason to be in a bad mood, give him your full attention while he tells you all the things of his day, act excited, while listening and interested while listening, always in dinner with, with a homemade pie or cake of some sort and have intimacy every night before you go to sleep. We all know that's not going to work. But what if, as the life of the wife begins to encounter grilled cheese nights, can you fix the broken toilet days? And all my nice dresses are worn out or dirty times. What if the husband then tries to hold the wife to the false expectations that have been passed down? I hope you're getting all these hints and shadows. He starts pointing out that the dresses aren't as nice as the old ones and the dinners could use some sprucing up. And he says things uh, while he's talking about his day to her like, you're not as excited about this story as I am. You should be laughing at my jokes right now and really getting into this. I'm funny. You can do whatever you want all day long. I only ask for your full participation for a couple of hours every evening. Sooner or later, one of them is going to begin to hear from the old devil. Something's wrong with your marriage. Your experience isn't measuring up. He's not feeling as excited about you as he once did. She's not into you as she's supposed to be. The routine didn't stick. The stars and bells and whistles of rainbows didn't last. And then they get tempted. And then they look elsewhere. And you know what happens. The routine didn't stick because it wasn't the right one. And it wasn't the real one. We know what they needed. They needed some godly counsel and some wise elder, elders to speak to them, to teach them, to pour into them about the realities of a real married life. To tell them to promote all the fun and excitement in the beginning as you can. To prepare for the humdrums of life because they're coming. To work to stay excited and keep each other's attention. To enjoy the grilled cheese because it makes steak taste better later. Don't forget your vows. Sickness and health, rich and poor, good and bad. Remember that one man, one woman, one time is the original perfect plan of God. 
When I'm counseling couples that have been married for a little longer, 15, 20, 25 years, and they're having problems, I always tell them, I always start with this, I always say, don't forget that he's still here. Don't forget that she's still here. 20 years of ins and outs and ups and downs and trials and problems and attacks and temptations, and they are still here. That's huge because lots of them aren't. We believe in that kind of marriages. What about the church? How many times pastors and, and evangelists, when I evangelized and, and, and a lot of my pastor friends, when we get frustrated with the congregation because the numbers are down, and we take it out on the only ones that are there that are making up the number that's still up. My, my point is this. COVID did a lot of terrible things. And it did some good things. I know nobody said that. Nobody wants to hear that. One good thing it did, it got me out of back pain for three weeks. <laughs> One of the greatest things that COVID could have ever done is if we learn this lesson right here. It showed us how weak some of our experience-based church atmospheres really are. It showed us we need to build, teach, strengthen our people. We need to help convince them of a daily walk with Christ to stand firm on faith in Scripture, God's promises and our abilities to endure as God's children. We need to see the Lord working in our people's lives and acknowledge it and feed it. It will cost us some of our over-the-top excitement and our perfect music compilations and, 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 and we'll, we'll have to replace much of our thoughts about church services. We'll have to intentionally get our flesh under subjection and stop trying to bring every service and every sermon to a crescendo of reaction from our crowds. It'll cost us that. The difference is, and I want you to listen closely because these both sound really good, but only one of them's right. Did we get them the best two hours that we possibly could? Are they going to leave here feeling like, man, we really had church? That sounds good. Or did we feed them and fuel them up? Did we give them more tools and more weapons to be even better Christians through the week and through their lives? I want you to listen to this very, very closely because I thought I liked it until I really got into it. I read one family counselor that said, what if every time you left your house to go to work or go on a trip, you said whatever you would say to your wife and kids is if you would never see them again. Again, sounds good. But it's not realistic. You're not going to say the perfect life ending thing to your wife every single morning. What would happen if you did? It would get boring. It would get mundane. It would ruin the effect of it. You'd have to keep pushing the envelope farther and farther and farther to get the same response. Uh-oh. Listen, you would have to keep pushing the envelope farther and farther and farther to get the same response. Anybody thinking about the church? Instead, the family counselor might be better off telling them, say something every time that builds on the trust, strength, faith, 
faith, intimacy, and hope for the future that you and your wife would have. Basic things in the beginning, more complicated things as time goes on. Sometimes a, a, a little more light, sometimes really deep. Sometimes it will be exciting and intimate. Sometimes it'll be mundane but necessary. But one thing you probably shouldn't do, don't try to find the perfect lighting in the hallway to stand in and get the perfect song playing in the background on the radio and be wearing your perfect-looking work clothes and tell her that things that would make her swoon and, and, and get the greatest reaction from her at every single time. Because one day when it doesn't work like that, and that day will come sooner than later, then she may start thinking that there's something wrong with her and she doesn't belong in that marriage anymore because she doesn't feel it like she once did and you may lose her. Like the church is losing a lot of people. You were still there. You were still making the money, still paying the bills, still in love with her. She just didn't feel it. Because you taught her that it was based on attaining a predetermined emotional experience instead of about love and long-suffering and dedication and trust and commitment and faith. COVID has been rough. And there are worse things coming. Our leaders need to wake up and start preparing the saints for the worst things coming. And there are a bunch of folks out there that need to know, like, like some of those that I've counseled, that you may be better off than you thought you were. Don't believe those lies of the devil just yet. Ask yourself the questions. Check your heart. You may have thought that you were in bad shape because you aren't feeling it like you thought you should right now. But I'm not asking you to feel anything. I'm asking you, what do you believe? Because the Bible says we Walk by faith. The bottom line is emotion and commotion doesn't equal devotion. I want to I want to say this and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done right here. It seems like almost every time I go to study one of these out, it comes back to the basic general theme. We, we have some podcasts and things that are specific to uh, drugs and specific to uh, uh, depression and things, but most of our major podcasts always come back to this trying to correct this, this issue in the church. And <laughs> I had a pastor ask me this morning. He said, why are you always, I remember he said, harping on that or bashing on that or beating on that, whatever. Why are you always beating on that one and being the smart aleck that I am, I quipped really fast back to him. I said, because everybody is beating on all the other things. I mean, think about it. What, what in our movement isn't bashed on, beat on, kicked around, slammed? Every kind of hairstyle, dress code, movie, sport, uh, pink shirt, uh, I mean, just, just go down the list. Everything, everybody's bashing everything. The only, thing we're not, the only thing we're not trying to fix is sometimes what's wrong with us. 
and 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 I'm gonna put this in perspective, and then and then I'm gonna be done here. I've had some some challenge me on this, and and I take it very seriously when they do. Because I, I I'm I'm not heavy into over emotionalism, especially when it's regulated. But I'm a very emotional guy, especially religiously speaking. And what I want this generation to be careful of is what, what has happened is there were some dead, 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 dry services for a couple hundred years. And then some powerful guys came along filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to show that there is emotion involved in, and 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 one saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and, and 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 loud preaching and and dancing, shouting and 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 that's all good and right and true. And so they brought that back into the church like it was supposed to be. And then that was taken clear too far to pure charismaticism, where it's nothing but emotionalism. And now that emotionalism is trickling back into the more conservative churches. So now here we are trying to push back against that and try to counter that. What we don't want to do is completely dry it all back out for a generation or two so that our grandkids and great-grandkids will have to come along and fire it back up. We don't want to just ride that roller coaster and be the next ones to turn the corner one way or the other. It would be better, you would think, if one generation finally tried to level it out. Is Christianity emotional? It absolutely is. Should it be? Yes, it should. Should your emotion be regular? I would think so. Is it going to have some highs and lows come and go? Of course. Can that emotionalism be regulated by somebody with a microphone telling you when it's time to feel it? I don't, I don't think so. But my point tonight is, if it can be, then the devil can wipe out huge blocks of the church if he wanted to. If we're going to give him that. Mighty God in heaven, Lord, I thank you and love you and praise you for your truths for your holy word that we get to hold in our hand and read with our own understanding. I pray one more time, God, that you touch this podcast, all the platforms, the Facebook Live, all the different ways it will be heard and watched. Bless the hearers and help them. Let them figure these things out. Let this just be tools and weapons for their own relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us do our part and let us move on and have our relationship with you. Bless HMA, the ministry groups, and everyone involved. In Jesus' name, amen.